we can open just with a word of prayer. Avinu God, we thank you um, for the privilege of being together. We don't take for granted that we're able to gather together to worship you, to lift up your name. God, we thank you for your Shabbat. We thank you for your rest. And I just ask that you would speak to us this morning, this afternoon now, out of your word, that you would reveal yourself to us, that we would have ears to hear and hearts to receive what you would share. In Yeshua's name, amen. Well, I want to share something very personal that God has been teaching us. Uh, you heard my father-in-law share about Azariah, uh, or Azariah, as we call him in Hebrew. And uh, maybe you know the story, maybe you don't know the story. First, it took us a long time to get pregnant. Um, we actually have two little ones that we miscarried that are in heaven. And we, uh, he is the child of promise for us, something we believe for, have prayed for. And shortly after his birth, like 36 hours after his birth, we found out he had suffered a stroke either in utero or right as it was coming out. We had no idea. We were ready to go home from the hospital. Long story short, ambulance, another hospital, 10 days in the ICU, didn't know. And, and the report of the doctor was he probably is not going to be able to speak. The right side of his body, he might not be able to use. They were even throwing around terms like cerebral palsy. And uh, there's nothing you can do. And we just had people from around the world pray with us. We could, I, I couldn't believe it. We just, in the little energy that we had, we posted a video, and people around the world prayed, lifted up uh, his name before the Lord, and now we've gone back just uh, a month and a half ago to get a final MRI, and they say everything is developing flawlessly. He's walking. He's uh, babbling, and, and, and we really believe that we don't have to believe the report of the doctor, but we repeat, re, re, uh, believe the report of the Lord. We've experienced other miracles this year as well. About six months ago, almost seven months ago, I almost lost my life. Uh, I was on a UTV, which is basically, if you know what an ATV is, it's bigger. There's four passengers. And we, I was driving. And we, in, the, in the mountains of Colorado, we flipped over, fell on my arm, tore my entire arm open, almost lost the arm, bleeding, no cell service, no one around. Uh, several, uh, two, two or three hours later, finally made it to a hospital via helicopter. Um, and they said, look, the, 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 infec- the infection you could have had could have taken your life. They said you'll probably be in the hospital a number of weeks. Long story short, less than 72 hours, we're out of the hospital. They saved my arm. I'm now fully recovered at 100% range of motion. And again, it's a testimony to the Lord. I say that hopefully to encourage your faith and, and to know that we serve a miracle-working God. And as I think about the parasha that we've been reading over these last couple weeks, I think back a couple weeks to Exodus 15, where we see the Lord bring the children of Israel across the Red Sea. And on the other side, we hear the song of praise. The first, the first real song that we, we hear in the Bible is the song of Moses. And I mean, you know the words, Mi kamocha ba'elim Adonai, Mi kamocha nedar ba'kodesh, norat tefilot. Who is like you, O Lord, among the gods? Wonderful in majesty, doing wonders. We hear this amazing prayer. The Lord has, has taken the chariots and the rider. He cast them into the sea. The Lord, our God, shall reign forever and ever. And sometimes after a miracle, that's where we are. I, I know I'm there. After a miracle for about 24 hours, I'm like, God, you can do anything. <laughs> but it doesn't usually stay that way. And so that's why the word that the Lord put on my heart to share with us today is 
what do we do on the other side of the miracle? What happens on the other side of the miracle? What happens after Exodus chapter 15? So that's what I want to take some time to share today. I I believe there's three traps, three things, three traps that we can fall into on the other side of the miracle. When we've seen God do amazing things after that initial uh, worship, there's three traps. The first thing that happens, and if you can open your uh, Bibles to Exodus chapter 16, we'll go through together. The first thing that happens, and we're doing this by looking at the children of Israel, but I believe that if we search our own hearts, we see this is true for us as well. I'll start by reading Exodus 16 verse 1. They set out from Elim, and all the congregation of the people of Israel came to the wilderness of Sin, which is between Elim and Sinai, or Sinai, on the 15th day of the second month after they departed from the land of Egypt. So if you're keeping count, they departed Egypt on the Passover day, which is the 14th of the first month. So this is about a month, a month later after they've left Egypt. And it says in verse 2, And the whole congregation of the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness, And the people of Israel said to them, Would that we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt, when we sat by the meat pots and ate bread to the full. For you have brought us out into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. One month later. So I don't know if we're we're, we're, uh, doing much better than that. One month later. And look at how they describe the land of Egypt. This is what I want to kind of focus on. Look at how they describe the land of Egypt. We sat, we weren't working, we sat by our meat pots and ate bread to the full. I mean, does that sound like what was described to the children of Israel at the beginning of Exodus? Doesn't sound like what, their their memory was a little foggy. Something was off. We sat by the meat pots and ate bread to the full, full. So first trap that I think we can fall into is that we forget. We forget how easily do we forget, how quickly. Less than a month later, we're distorting history. Now, it's easy to laugh at the children of Israel, but how many of you distort history? How many of us say, well, it wasn't really that good, or it looked a lot better than I actually give it credit for? You know, I remember when I made Aliyah to Israel, and I was praying, and everyone praying. It took me about six weeks uh, with my citizenship, which felt like an eternity to me, but for some people, you know, that's not a very long time. And I just remember praying, God, if you would give me, grant me my Israeli citizenship, I'll never doubt you again. <laughs> and sure enough, citizenship granted. But where was I remembering that when we were in the hospital room with Azariah and we were being told that he may never talk, may not walk? That, that seemed so far away. That seemed hard to remember. And isn't that what, why God repeats himself time and time again. How often does he say, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt? Like, God, you're being a little redundant. Why do you keep repeating yourself? Well, he needs to. Even, even look, look at the symbols we have in this congregation. Look, we even have here, do this in remembrance of me. Every time God speaks to his people and gives a covenant, he also gives a sign to remember. We have the rainbow to remember. We have circumcision, the brit milah, to remember. We have the, 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 the um, I was going to say it in Hebrew, but just the Lord's Supper to remember. He gives us a sign to remember the covenant. And, and then he gives us a whole book of the Bible, the book of Deuteronomy, which is dedicated to remembering. 
He repeats everything that we've learned just so that we remember before we enter into the promised land. And he says, take heart to especially remember this when? He says, be very, very careful to remember when you enter and you receive vineyards that you didn't plant and wells you didn't dig and homes that you didn't build, fields that you didn't sow in. When it gets comfortable and easy, that's when it's easiest to forget. And I wonder how much comfort and ease has caused us to have some memory problems. You know, I read this verse this morning that just shook me. Um, We always talk about Sodom and Gomorrah, right? And we look at, oh, the sinful, wicked city. Well, in Ezekiel 16, God says, Behold, this was the guilt of your sister Sodom. This is the guilt of Sodom. She and her daughters had pride, excess of food, prosperous ease, but did not aid the poor and the needy. Doesn't sound that different than some places I know. And it just, it just shook me. God says it's easy to forget. It's easy to forget. So remember, remind yourself. That's the first trap. I believe there's a second trap. The second trap, I'm sure you have all know this by reading these passages, we complain. I'm going to jump down a few verses here to uh, uh, Exodus 16, verse 8. And Moses said, when the Lord gives you in the evening meat to eat, and in the morning bread to the full, because the Lord has heard your grumbling, that, that you grumble against him. What are we? Your grumbling is not against us, but against the Lord. So they're complaining. They're hungry. How many of you have ever been hangry? Where's Vanessa? No. <laughs> we, 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 get, we get a little angry when we're hungry. And I understand that. But listen to what Moses says. He says, your grumbling is not against us. Not your leaders, not against your circumstance, not against your parents, not against your co-workers, not against your boss. Your grumbling is not against them. It's against the Lord. You know, at first, it's interesting. If you look at the grumbling over the uh, uh, chapters 15, 16, and 17, because there's three times it happens. The first time it happens when? When they, when they lack water. Actually, they have water, but the water's bitter. So they want sweet water. So the first time the grumbling happened, it was because a situation wasn't ideal. It's not that it wasn't there, that it wasn't ideal. It wasn't, it wasn't sweet water, so God made the water sweet. The second time the grumbling happened, it happened when there was a lack of something. There were no food. There's nothing to eat. But the third time that the grumbling happened, it was because there was no water again. God, God had already provided water for them when they complained. And then again, there was no water. And this time they say, you, you haven't just grumbled. This time you're testing the Lord. And I wonder what, where the joy, where the dancing, where the singing that we read about a couple chapters earlier was. Where was that happening? It was nowhere to be found. And I have, I have to search my heart and say, God, are there times where I'm complaining? And maybe we think it's innocent. Maybe we think I'm just, I'm just frustrated by a situation. But I know that sometimes complaining... It's not actually about our situation, but it's about, God, we don't feel like that's fair. It's not, how, it's not fair the way that we're being treated. It's not fair that this is happening to that person, and it's not happening to us. And I think in our day and age, sometimes complaining, uh, we could take that to the internet. We could take that online. And sometimes our complaining, we actually put in a different uh, category. We do something different with it. The complaining, the frustrating, the, the discouragement turns into coping 
turns into us coping to numb the pain. Well, if I can't just express the pain, I'm going to use my preferred coping mechanism. I'm going to medicate in whatever way I need to to numb the pain. Maybe it's what made us feel safe as a child. Maybe it's how we learn to handle our pain. But there's other ways that we're coping. And so first we forget. We forget what God's done. And the next we complain. We have this dissatisfaction. We feel like, God, this is not fair. And whether we complain verbally or we complain online or we uh, numb our pain by coping, that's something that we do after the miracle. So the first trap is that we forget. The second trap is that we complain. And the third trap is that we strive. Go with me down a few verses, Exodus 16, verse 19. When we get to verse 19, Moses said to them, speaking of the manna from heaven, let no one leave any of it over till the morning. But they did not listen to Moses. Some left part of it till the morning, and it bred worms and stank. Moses was angry with them. Morning by morning they gathered it, each as much as he could eat. But when the sun grew hot, it melted. On the sixth day, they gathered twice as much bread, two omers each. And when all the leaders of the congregation came and told Moses, he said to them, This is what the Lord has commanded. Tomorrow is a day of solemn rest, a holy Shabbat to the Lord. Bake what you will bake, and boil what you will boil, and all that is left over lay aside to be kept till the morning. So they laid it aside till the morning and Moses, as Moses commanded them. And it did not stink and there were no worms. Moses said, eat it today for today is a Shabbat to the Lord. Today you will not find it in the field. Six days you shall gather it, but on the seventh day, which is, which is the Shabbat, there will be none. And then it says, on the seventh day, some of the people went out to gather, but they found none. Some of the people went out to gather, but they found none. And, and it's easy to laugh. I, I laughed at this. But how often do I do that? How often, when God's promised that he will provide, the, the, the only thing I know to do is strive. Now, I don't, I don't think it's all, totally their fault. Imagine, you've been a slave all your life. What do slaves do? Slaves don't rest. Slaves don't take a day off. Slaves work. All we know to do is work. And so we go back to the slave mentality that has been ingrained inside of us, working every day. Every day we work. Some of us strive by working harder, like those that got up on the seventh day. I got to work harder. I got to do more. I got I I, I, I to make this happen. I have all this pressure. I got to make something happen. That's me. But some of us strive in a different way. Did you read it? Did you listen to it at the beginning of this passage? Some people strive by hoarding. I, 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 maybe I can't work harder, but you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to save extra of what's mine. I'm gonna, I, I don't know that the manna is going to be there tomorrow. I know it's going to be there today. I'm going to like save up, stockpile up, and make sure we're good. This is convicting for me. I mean, how many times do I hoard? How many times do I check and count what God's given me? Not because, out of faith in God, but out of self-preservation. I don't have time to go into this, but there's, a, there's a, a crazy passage in the Bible where the Lord punishes David. For what? For taking a census. For counting. Because the count, it's, there's nothing wrong with counting. There's nothing wrong with counting. There's nothing wrong with looking at your bank account. But sometimes I look at my bank account, not out of faith, but out of fear. Sometimes I check it. I, I'm, I'm being honest. I check it multiple times more than I need to, not out of trust in God, but out of a lack of faith. I'm striving striving. 
So these are the three traps. We forget. Children of Israel forgot. They complained. We've complained. And they strove in different ways. They had a hard time resting on that seventh day. And this is where I want to pause and say this is where Vanessa and I actually found ourselves a few months ago. We had experienced God's miracles with Azariah, with my arm, with our lives. We experienced all these miracles, but we were exhausted. We had forgotten why we were doing what we were doing. The busyness of life and ministry had blurred out and dulled the beauty of the miracles that we've experienced. Just, just one month before. Just one month before. We had lost our, our joy. Everything felt frustrating and difficult. Things and circumstances that we used to have grace for felt exhausting and caused even the optimist in me to be discouraged at times. And sometimes maybe I would complain to Vanessa, but sometimes we would cope with our coping mechanism of choice. For me, that was food, and for me, that was television. I'm just trying to numb the pain. I just feel discouraged. I know God's there. I know he's powerful. I know he just delivered us out of Egypt. But I, I, I feel all this pain. I forget. I'm, I'm, I'm not satisfied. And finally, we were striving. We were pushing for thi- to make things happen in our own strength. Now, let me make this a little bit more spiritual because I'm sure we're all very, very godly in here. It's not that I was trying to make things happen in my own strength. I believed that God would act the harder I worked. That the harder I worked, the more that, you know, God could turn the water into wine if I'm the one doing it, you know? That as I worked, God was going to use my work and do something powerful. But I realized that's not our God. You know, there were so many demands, so many needs, so much pressure, and I thought the answer was working hard for God, but not enjoying him and his presence. And I believe God could do more if only I worked harder. So we had some dear, dear friends and mentors in our life that, that saw us, saw, sat us down and said, something needs to change. You guys need a break. Um, and so we listened to them. We decided to take a month off, which was this crazy idea. How can, how can the ministry exist for a month without, without us there? How is that possible? It's this reminder that it's not on our shoulders. Turns out it's also been exactly seven years since firm started. Maybe, maybe there's some biblical wisdom that we can tap into. It's been seven years. So this last month, we're just ending this now, this last month we stopped, we rested, we've unplugged. And as we have come off this time away, we feel that we're in a healthier place than we've ever been. Healthier physically, healthier emotionally, healthy spiritually. And so I want to share a little bit of what we learned from this time. You know, we, we, we realized how easy it is to forget, how easy it is to slip into comp- complaining or coping, and how easy it is to strive. And I just want to share what I think are the three weapons that we must use to avoid the traps. So maybe you can think back to a time in your life where God's done a miracle for you. Maybe it's recently. Maybe it's a long time ago. Maybe you have to really use your mem- memory to get back there. But I think we have to avoid the traps and use these three weapons to engage them. So first of all, instead of, instead of forgetting, we must remember. We must remember. We must remember what God has done in our lives. There's a popular television show out right now that maybe some of you have seen. It's called Ted Lasso. Maybe some people have seen Ted Lasso. And there's one part in Ted Lasso where um, Ted is, a, is a, a football coach or a soccer coach, and he's, he's telling a teammate the happiest creature in the world is a goldfish. 
And why is the happiest creature in the world a goldfish? Because the goldfish only has a 15-second memory. 15-second memory. And he's saying this in the context of not getting offended. You know, the goldfish forgets after 15 seconds. And so the goldfish is the happiest creature in the world because he only has a 15-second memory. And I just want to say, I think that that's not true for us as believers. I think for us as believers, if we only remember 15 seconds ago what God's done, then we can't be the happiest creatures in the world. We need to have more than, we are goldfish. We don't need to be a goldfish. We are goldfish. We forget. We forget very quickly. Whether it's 15 seconds or 15 minutes or 15 days, we forget. And God knows that. That's why we need to remind ourselves so many of the commands that we're given as a people to remind our children. We have to remember the moment that God called us into his kingdom. Remember that moment. What was it like when Yeshua became everything to you? When you looked up and said, I have found the treasure, the pearl of great price. What was that like? For some of us, maybe that was before we had kids, before we had responsibilities, before we had budgets and obligations, before anyone was on our payroll, before there were all these external pressures. What was the moment like for you? Do you remember it? Do you remember what God spoke to you in that moment? Do you remember what you spoke and promised to him? Can we remember and bring ourselves back to that moment? You know, Yeshua's letter at the end of the Bible, in uh, the book of Revelation, chapter 2, he writes letters to seven different congregations, and he wrote a letter to the congregation at Ephesus. And he says to them, I know you are enduring patiently, and you're bearing up for my name's sake. You have not grown weary. But I have this one thing against you, that you've forsaken, you've forgotten your first love. Remember. He says, remember. Remember the love you had at first. So I believe that's the weapon that we have of our warfare. How often are we reminding ourselves? Are we having people in our lives call us to remember? How often are we thinking back and saying, God, I remember what you've done. And if you've been faithful then, you're faithful now. You who started a good work in me will see it to completion. The gifts and calling of God on my life are irrevocable. We see that through the people of Israel. And we know that God is the same for us. That's the first weapon. We must remember. The second weapon we must rejoice. We get so fixated on the presence of problems that we lose focus on the presence of God. And I say this with all humility, it's, it's hard to rejoice sometimes. And we read this scripture in Philippians chapter 4, and maybe I'll confess, and if you want to confess as well, and be honest, but sometimes when I hear this, rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice. I mean, how many of you ever have rolled your eyes maybe when you've heard that? You don't have have to say it out loud. God knows your heart. But, you know, I I sometimes have rolled my eyes. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. And then sometimes you're, you're, you're grieving a loss and someone comes up to you and says, well, brother, sister, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. And you're like, that's not what I want to hear right now. But I want to go on from that verse. Philippians 4, right after that it says, let your reasonableness be known to everyone the Lord is near. The Lord is near. Not your situation is good. Not it's all going to be okay. The Lord is near. Therefore, do not be anxious about anything. 
But in everything, with prayer and supplication and thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God. And the peace of God that surpasses all understanding will guard your heart and your mind in Yeshua, our Messiah. We need to rejoice. It's a weapon. It's not just a song and a dance. It's something that has power. There's power in the praise. There's power when the people of Israel go marching against the walls of Jericho. And they put their worshipers up front. A change in perspective leads us to praise God. Instead of looking at our problems, we need to look through our problems to see an omnipotent God who is right there with us. And I, I've, been, I've been wrestling with this because I know how hard it is to really taste that joy. You know, there, there's verses, like I think of a Psalm 51, where God says, restore to me, where David says, restore to me the joy of your salvation. Or in Psalm 16, it says, in his presence there is fullness of joy. At his right hand are pleasures forevermore. And if I can be honest for a second for me, I realize that I wasn't able to experience the joy and the pleasures of God because I had dulled them with other things. You know, as we've started eating healthier again, it's amazing. You, you, you bite into a strawberry, you're like, wow, it's so sweet! Who changed the strawberries? <laughs> Who made the fruit this, taste this good? And you realize when you have artificial sugar in your diet, the natural things that God's caused to be sweet don't taste sweet anymore. And I wonder how many of us have artificial pleasures in our diets. And that if give us a high right before we crash. But the blessing of the Lord adds uh, joy and brings no sorrow with it. The goodness of God is true joy that does not put us to shame, that does not disappoint us. And what I felt God speaking to me is, Michael, how many times have you tied your excitement on something that's volatile rather than putting your hope in something that won't put you to shame? And so we must remember, we must rejoice. And the final one, we must rest. I mean, if anyone should know this, it should be us. Remember the Sabbath day. Keep it holy throughout all your generations. We must rest. Resting is embracing our limitations. I hate that. I hate that phrase, embrace your limits. I'm like, no, I don't have limits. Anything's possible. But you know what? We are men, not God. We are finite. God is infinite. The Bible says we have this treasure in jars of clay. Or a jar of clay. What do you do with a jar of clay? You, you treat it very delicately. You don't let your one-year-old child play around it because it's fragile. It's fragile. That's who we are. We're, we're fragile. We have limitations. We are limited. God is limitless. We are finite. God is infinite. Yes, we have Shabbat, but there are other rhythms that we, Shabbat rhythms that we need to embrace. I've been asking myself the question, what do I allow interrupt me? Do I allow God to interrupt me? Or do I allow Instagram and Facebook and text messages and WhatsApp to, to interrupt me? God, I can't hear you. Well, you know, what, what, are you, what are you allowing to interrupt you? I'm asking myself the question, who do I give my availability to? I pride myself on being a very available person. If you text me, I'll respond. If you email me, I'll get back to you. I like zero emails in my inbox. 
Sometimes looking at Vanessa's inbox with like 10,589 emails, it just stresses me out. I am an available person. But do I want to, who do I want to be available to? Do I want to be available to everyone in the world or the one creator, father, that it really matters about? And I, there's this verse in, in Isaiah that just shakes me. No eye has seen a God besides you who acts on behalf of those who wait for him. Not those who work for him. Those who wait for him. Those who wait on the Lord will renew their strength. One last picture I want to give. Something that has been speaking very deeply to me these last couple weeks. That's the story of Mary and Martha. Two sisters from Bethany. Bethany, just a stone's throw from Jerusalem. And I don't know about you. I had never, you know, I knew some of the stories. I hadn't, like, connected the dots in all the stories. I hadn't realized this Mary of Bethany, what she was like. Obviously, we know the story of Mary and Martha. We'll come back to that. We see Martha busy doing things for the Lord and Mary sitting at the rabbi's feet. But then we hear the story of Mary and Martha's brother, Lazarus, who dies, who Yeshua loves dearly. He comes, he raises Lazarus from the dead. And then we see the story of Mary coming and breaking a jar of expensive perfume and wiping Yeshua's feet. And I thought, what, what's the connection between the three? I, I, maybe I'm just dumb, guys, but I, I didn't know that was the same Mary. I didn't realize that. I mean, and if you look in the book of John, it's very, very, very clear. It's like Lazarus, and then right after that, you see the story. And I just realized... What if the Mary that sat at his feet, the Mary that wasn't busy doing, that was just receiving, was the same Mary that was able to worship extravagantly at Yeshua's feet? Everyone else said it was ridiculous. Why waste the perfume? Give it to the poor. Yeshua says, no, 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 the poor you'll always have with you. She's anointing my body for burial. This is an act of extravagant worship of someone who who's, has sat in the master's presence. As I just go back to the story of Mary and Martha, you know, it says Martha was distracted by much serving. But Mary sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. And Martha went up to the Lord and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Sometimes we hear that in the Leaf household, you know, we have all the two sisters. No, I'm, I'm joking. <laughs> my sister's left me, she's, my brother in law has left me to serve alone. <laughs> but I've chosen the better portion. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> so Martha says, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. And I feel guilty that I've, I've been a Martha for a little too long. I've, I've been busy about the Lord's business. I love God. I love the Lord. I love serving him. But I want to be the one that sits at his feet. I want to be the one that breaks that alabaster jar, that experiences joy, not as the world experiences joy, that goes up today and down tomorrow, but in his presence where there's fullness of joy, at his right hand where there's pleasures forevermore. And so whether you're waiting for a miracle today or you're coming off of a miracle that God's provided and we're in that dip let us not be a people that forget and that complain 
and let's strive. But can we be a people that remember and we rejoice and we rest in the Lord's presence? Because only in his presence uh, will we have the power to continue to be a light uh, to everyone around us. So I, I want to I take a time to pray. My time has come to an end. Uh, and I want to take just a moment to uh, pray for a specific prayer over anyone that maybe you hear, heard any of these categories I've described and you say, man, I resonate. I resonate with all three. So my hands, my hands raised with all three. But maybe, maybe you feel like, man, it's been, it's been easy to be a goldfish. It's easy to forget. I, I, know, I know in my head that God has done miracles for me in the past but it doesn't feel real today. Or maybe you say, man, I, I, I've just been complaining. I didn't, I didn't think I was complaining against God, but I realized I, I just, I feel frustrated. Or maybe it's not complaining. Maybe you've been coping and medicating in whatever, whatever other way that you're doing, dulling the pain, dulling the joy of the Lord. Or maybe you've just been striving. You've been working really hard and it looks great on the outside because our culture loves those that work really hard. But God's asked us to rest. He says, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, I will give you rest. My yoke is easy. My burden is light. So I want to just take a moment to pray for all of us. Abba, I thank you for your word. I thank you for giving us the story of the children of Israel coming out of the greatest miracle in their lives. And yet, so how easy Are we prone to wander? How easy do we forget? God, how easy are we not satisfied? Are we discontent? Are we complain and we grumble against you? God, we repent. We repent of grumbling against you, of testing you, Lord. We want to be a people that remember what you have done, that continually live in your presence rejoicing. Even when the circumstances don't uh, give cause to rejoice, God, we rejoice in who you are and on what you've said, that you are a faithful covenant-keeping God, Then you give us peace that surpasses all understanding. And God, I thank you that you are a God who gives us rest. I thank you that, God, your kingdom is not on our shoulders, but that, God, you act for those who wait for you. And for any of us in here that feel like we have something to prove, that we have something to, that we need to make happen, that we want to go above and beyond, but we're, we're, we're killing ourselves. God, I ask that you would give us your yoke, which is easy, and your burden, which is light, that we would find rest for our souls. And God, finally, I just ask that you would make us a family of Marys, of those that would sit at your feet, of those that would savor your presence, those who would enjoy your presence, God, we repent for finding other ways to cope and to medicate and to numb the pain. I ask that you would help us to bring the pain to you, to bring the pain to you, to find healing, to find joy, to find deliverance. And I ask that you would make us those that would break this alabaster box at your feet. We love you, Lord. You're worthy of it all. You're worthy of our hearts, our souls, our minds, and our strength. You've done great things in the past. You will do great things in the days ahead. And I ask that you would be with us, be near to us in whatever season we're each facing. In Yeshua's name, amen.